Amen. This morning we are concluding a uh, series that we've been walking through on the uh, Holy Spirit. You can find all those uh, past sermons online, but this morning we uh, come to conclusion, and last week it's actually the second of two parts on uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So we are continuing to be in Galatians chapter 5. We're just going to read uh, verses 22 and 23, which are... uh, The verses describing those fruits. Hear then the word of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, well, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these things there is no law. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning as your people. We've gathered to sit at your feet and to learn of you. We come knowing that your word is living and true. We long for you to speak it into our lives with power so that it would not return void, that our hearts and our minds would be shaped and changed, that our lives would show forth the fruits of your presence and your power in us and in our midst. So even now, come, Holy Spirit, And speak your word to us afresh with power. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. In these two verses, in this list of virtues, we are given a true picture of greatness. The world has very different ideas about what greatness looks like. We see it every day as we watch the news and deal with Hollywood and all that is in front of us. They have very different ideas about what greatness looks like. We're impressed with their wealth or the intelligence of the uh, uh, academic communities of looks in Hollywood and education, position, power, all of these things that, that we see and are impressed by, the lofty heights of the, of the world in what seems to be greatness in the eyes of all those around us. But all of those things that we have listed, wealth and intelligence, looks and education, power and position, all of these things are very superficial graces. They are graces, they are blessings, but they are part of what we would call common grace. Or the the common grace that that affects the sun rises on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Right? The sun and the rain, they're, they're the common grace and the blessings that God showers on humanity. And so all of these two are as well, wealth and intelligence Education, position, and power. The world is full of these folks who do not know God. There's nothing particularly Christian about those blessings. They're not restricted to the church or to God's people. And they're not accessible to all of us, are they? Most of those things are out of reach for us, some of us. Some of those things, if you're not blessed with them at birth, you'll never have them. Some of those things, if you're not born in a certain place or under certain circumstances, you can't attain to them. Most of us sitting here this morning will have at least a very small or not a a touch of, of what the world sees as wealth and power. It's not accessible or attainable for most of us. That's why Mark 8, 36, Jesus says, What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world? All of those things. Say that you could get your hands on, on all of them and, and that would be your life. He says, what would it gain if you got all that stuff? 
and forfeit your own soul. What we have here this morning is a picture of a soul. It's a picture of the inner person in relation to God. That's why in 2 Peter 3, Peter says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, right? all these external things, all of those blessings of common grace, they will pass with the world. They are part of the order of things as they are now. Since all these things are going to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you and I to be? What sort of lives ought we to live? In holiness and godliness. Right? What stands before us in this text, my friends, is a description of greatness, a greatness that lasts forever and a greatness that is accessible to everyone, to all of us. The humblest, poorest, weakest person on the planet. The farmer just eking by who you find at his table before the sun is up with his Bible open and and before God in prayer, seeking to know Him and to love Him, whose heart and life is being shaped in the likeness of Christ, can be a truly great man. And the only way that really matters before God. And on that day, ultimately, we can, the, the poorest, humblest, weakest person on the planet can become like God. And, and hear me in that. We're not going to become God. But become God, godly. Right? That, that we can be shaped in a godliness. In the image that's portrayed in this picture that, that, that this verse uh, paints for us. Ephesians 4, 23 and 4 says that we are called to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on a new self that is created after the likeness of God. You can be like God, not in every way, but in these particular ways that were made in His image, in the true likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness, which much of and part of is pictured in the character that is given for us here. If you ever thought, I'm not smart enough, I'm not educated enough, or I'm not rich or important enough to ever become great in this life, God begs to differ. He has made greatness available to all of us, because He has made Himself available to all of us. And in Christ is offering and planning and working to reshape us in the shape and the image of true greatness. He will make you great in the only way that really matters. Matthew 23, 11, when the uh, disciples, as you remember, are disputing and arguing over position and power, Right? Who gets to sit at the right hand? Who gets to hold? Who gets to? And Jesus rebukes them and he tells them, the greatest among you, true greatness, he said, will be the one who is the servant of all. Right? And he says that true greatness, my friends, is not the way the world paints it. They lord it over one another. <laughs> not so with you. Not so with you. True greatness is a matter of the soul. In its relation to God, it is, it is who you are and what you are in His image. Not all these worldly standards to what you may or may not be able to attain to. That's why in 1 Timothy 4.8, Paul says bodily training is of some value. 
right? Physical health is of some value because it, it helps you in this life, but that too will be dissolved. These external things can be of some value. Education is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way, right? It holds promise for the present life, but also for the life to come, for our eternal life. It is a true greatness that does not pass with the world, but actually is who we are forever. As we know God and are like Him and are renewed in His image. See, the fruit of the Spirit, is, as they're listed for us here, are the evidence of progress in our sanctification. Right? We look at so many of these other things and we're impressed by people. But God is impressed only by His own image impressed on us. God is impressed as we reflect His glory in, in the character that He is, is forming us into. The fruit of the Spirit are the true evidence of our sanctification. It's not all that you know. Now understand, education is more than helpful. It is part of God's design, part of the stewardship we have in stewarding the mind and learning and knowing. There must be light as well as heat. And education is a good thing, but I can tell you this. You can know it all, right? We read that last week in 1 Corinthians 13. You can have knowledge to fathom all mysteries and faith to do all these things. And he says, but if you have not the first fruit of the Spirit, love, you're nothing. Right? It has to do with who we are. The inner person is the point. And so often we're so distracted with what we're doing and what we're pursuing and, and life is out here and we neglect. What does it matter if you gain the whole world? But neglect and, and in some sense lose your own soul. Last week we said love, joy, and peace. These first three fruits are precious jewels. But they are part of the treasure the treasure that is yours in Christ. That these three, these first three, have much to do with our relationship with Him. That before you can ever express them in relationship with other people, you must know and experience them in your relationship with Him. If you want the true greatness that's described in, in, in these verses, in these virtues, to be this kind of person, you first have to experience all of them in your relationship with the Lord. Right? The love and the joy and the peace that come through Christ and the gospel as He saves and restores and renews us as we know Him and we love Him and we walk with Him day by day and experience from Him the peace that is in Christ and the joy of our salvation, the joy, that is, the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And then these things flow out of us when we walk with God in a deepening experience of His love and joy and peace, then we become joyful, peaceful, loving people ourselves. They are manifested in our lives in relationship with Him. And so we see the fruit we mentioned here is singular. Pointed that out last week. He said the fruit of the Spirit. But the word fruit is singular, but then he lists nine things. Right? And part of it is to, to help us to understand that, that the nine are one. That it's one character that's being described here. One person that's being described here. You can't have these two or three and, and, and the others be neglected. They are distinguishable and we can talk about what each of them are, but they're inseparable in that they make one character and it is the character of the Lord Jesus, right? It's God's character. It's, it's who He is first. 
It's godliness. And so patience as we move love, joy, peace, and patience. Right? And patience is that virtue that most of us are afraid to pray for. We know what it might look like to those opportunities that we are given to practice and to learn it. Patience is a slowness to anger. I mean, there's a lot of different as you try to define some of these things. You'll find that you're going to have trouble defining them without, in some ways, defining them with some of the other fruits, that they overlap and depend on each other, and they really are a tapestry and not separate threads, but a tapestry, something that holds together. And this slowness to anger is a, is a peaceful endurance. It's a peace in the midst of circumstances and, and in dealing with people. And so it allows us to be slow to anger. With circumstances and people, right? That's when we get impatient. Circumstances aren't what they, we want them to be. I go to the doctor's office. I have an appointment at 2 o'clock and at 3.15 I'm still waiting Right? Circumstances, we start to become impatient. I'm driving down the road, and the person, they're not just going slow. They're going 10 miles an hour under the speed limit. Like, I don't ask a lot. Like, I'm, I'm not asking you even to speed, but the speed limit, right? You know, let, let's do that together. Um, <clears throat> you know, there are the circumstances, and you can name it, and then we more serious circumstances, but there are tons of ways in the circumstances, things that we're not in control of, where we become impatient, or people who are frustrating in various ways, their weaknesses, faults, and foibles, their sins, and, and we become impatient with people. They're not as fast as we want them to be. I'm at the restaurant. You know, we become impatient with the waitress. We become impatient with the people behind the counter, wherever it is. It's people and circumstances. But here it is, my friends. Understand this. We mistake we make a mistake if we think patience is about you and the circumstance or about you and that person, the waitress or the person behind the counter. Patience, just like all of the things that we've talked about as we did marriage, and we've said it over and over again, I'm like, you make a mistake if you think it's about you and your spouse. You make a mistake if you think it's about you and the waitress. It's about you and God. It is always about you and God. It's about who you are as his person, as a follower of Christ, as the son of the living God, a daughter of the king. It's about who you are, godliness. These things are who you are for those very circumstances and people. It is exactly there that this is the character that is to be manifest between you and God and not to those people not in response to those people. See, we don't like God's, ultimately, even when we say it's about you and God, because all those people and all those circumstances, let me just ask you, who is sovereign? Who orders all things according to his own purpose, will, and ways? Who's in charge of every circumstance and the people that are in your life, including your spouse and your children, the people you work with? Who, who is the one who weaves all these things and working all things together for the good of those who love him. Who is the one who then put the person in front of me as I'm driving down the road and these are the things that the Lord does in our hearts as he, as he sets us free from, from these, you know, who, you know, put this guy in front of me. You know, who, who determines when I left, you know, that, oh, I had to do this last thing, whatever, and then I get in my car and he gets in his and we think all this stuff is like random. God is in control. 
He is the Lord. And if I'm behind somebody, I need to, the first thing I need to know is it's not about me and him. It's about me and God. And God wants to know if I'm going to bow the knee to his sovereignty of this person or this circumstance that he's put in my life. And a great deal of our impatience, our anger, we think it's against people and circumstances, but ultimately it's against God. Circumstances and people are never an excuse to be ungodly. They're actually opportunities to walk in the Spirit. They are the very point in many ways of it. Impatience is arrogance. Chafing under God's mighty hand. Chafing under the way He has caused all things to fall out in my life. Right? Chafing under that I should have to put up with this circumstance or this person. Chafing, really, we think it's about them, and so they feel our, our frustration or anger, but it's about you and the Lord. Ultimately, our anger is against Him. And so instead, when I find a person who's slow in front of me and say, if God put him there, here's an opportunity for me to slow down and think about what? Pray for my wife. and Pray for some of you. And to accept the way it is, as the Lord's doing. That this is that we will get there when we get there. Because our patience, our lack of patience and our anger always reveals something about our relationship with God. Reveals something about our relationship with Him. It expresses the power of the flesh. Or it expresses the power and presence of the Spirit. And so as I get here, and we'll get at the end, is to understand is that these... That he paints us a picture here that should awake a hunger and a desire in us for greatness. This is a greatness attainable that God gives as a gift to his children in the presence and power of his spirit. That we should long for these things. Patience also is not gritting our teeth. And some of us, I hear this, you know, sometimes, all right, I'll be patient, right? You know, I'm going to stifle my anger down. I'm going to stuff it down in my shoes and I'm going to, fine, I'm patient. Right? I'm not, I'm not like spewing on you just yet, am I? Right? I'm be, like, this is not patience. No, patience is a real thing. Right? It's a, it's a real thing in there. Joy, peace, patience. It's a real thing. It's not a stuffed down fake version, you know, peace faking, patience faking kind of a thing. It's a real thing. Colossians 3, 12 and 13 says, put on. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. Here's another list of the fruit of the Spirit, by the way. It just is the works of the flesh, and he says, and other things like this. It's not exhaustive. The fruit of the Spirit in, in Galatians 5 is not exhaustive either, in my opinion. Um, but it's actually the list that, that, that Paul brings forward for the circumstance and the people that he was talking to to address their concerns. I think humility belongs on the list. Right? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility and meekness and patience, bearing with one another, which is patience. We're to put on this character, and he says to do it as God's chosen ones, right? His elect ones from before the foundations of the world, the ones who are holy, that is set apart for himself, beloved, loved as his own dear children. So as a real thing, he says, put these things on as God's beloved, eternal Set apart people 
who have been forgiving, forgive one another. Even as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Not gritting your teeth, forgiving and, and whatever, but forgiving because you have experienced the freeness of forgiveness yourself. You have been loved, so love without gritting your teeth. You have been forgiven, forgive. You have been shown patience day by day. His mercy is new every morning, my friends. Oh, how patient he has been. And so that patience is a real thing that as we know and experience, our hearts are different. They are more at peace. And more truly, all these things. Kindness, which is tenderheartedness, understanding, forgiving, and gracious. Kindness is gracious. It thinks of other people first. Kindness is gracious. It it means when coffee is spilled on your new white carpet, you're more concerned about the person who spilled it than your white carpet. I mean it. I truly mean it. that, That people are more important to you than anything else. Somebody accidentally scraped your car. The person is more important than the car. The person is more important than the job. The person is more important than whatever. The person, that's where we can be gracious to people. Where you find people who aren't gracious, they just don't like let you off the hook. They just don't let you go. They have to have their pound of flesh or make their point. You know, they have to, you know, but kindness loves people more than any of the rest of it. The rest of it will dissolve and pass away but people will last forever and so will my character in loving them and being gracious to them my carpet will burn you know it's not as important as we think it is so kindness is graciousness and goodness which is sincerity it's doing what is right and just according to God's word and God's way and God's will goodness is wanting to do to do what is right in this sense to help and benefit others, to love and serve and help and protect, goodness, faithfulness, someone who can be trusted, who is dependable, and keeps their vows, who is honest, keeps their vows even at great personal cost. They're trustworthy. Psalm 15, verses 1 and 4 say, that who shall ascend your holy hill? It's a question of the psalmist. And then he, and he makes a list of the characteristics of those who will be able to ascend his holy hill. And one of them is he who swears or makes vows, and then even to his own hurt, he does not change. Even if it's hard, even if it's costly, even if it's difficult, he keeps his vows. God witnesses our vows. God is faithful, and he is faithful to us. God would rather die than break his promises to save and to do those things, and that we keep our vows because it's who we are as the children of a faithful God. And his spirit will enable us to do so. Gentleness means to not be harsh, not hard, not rough, not loud. Right? It's how you handle eggs. Right? It's how you handle fr- fragile glass. How many times have I learned that, that when I deal with folks and I deal sometimes hard with ideas or thoughts and you end up up here and you miss the person, the, the, the pain out of which the question is being asked, the place from where it's coming, you know, that we're so, we're so busy up here that we miss the person and to handle people gently. 
self-control. The ruling of one's own spirit and heart. Moderation in all things. Self-denying. Self-control has a great deal of self-denying in it. You know, you and I are our own worst enemies. We are our own worst enemies. And one of the number one things you can do to be more godly and to, to find some victory over a lot of these things is to seek the grace of the Holy Spirit to deny yourself. It's one of the chief courses. The self is the old man and the flesh. The more we learn to deny ourselves, every, every one of these fruits depends at some level on self-control. Patience and kindness and goodness toward other people. There's often, in the midst of it all, some way that we need to die to ourselves so that we might follow Christ and live in a way that honors and pleases Him. To govern our desires and our passions and to die to ourselves so that our thoughts, words, and deeds... You know, we're very tempted to say we read a list like this and we talk about this character that is defined here and some of you are thinking about your week and all the places that, yeah, that, that you belong on the list of the works of the flesh rather than on the fruits of the Spirit. You know, we all kind of have that battle that goes on. That's what the passage is about. You have this, the flesh lusting against the Spirit, the Spirit lusting against the flesh, and, and you have this war, this opposition within us. And you may be tempted to say, Robert, this list is all very idealistic. I hear you, uh, but you don't really expect me to become, really, and not gritting it down, but really, honestly, to become a person like that. I can't see it. It's too hard. But my friends, I would suggest that your doubts arise from our experience of the power of the flesh resisting the spirit. It seems so strong. But God is inviting you to experience the power of his spirit. He says, the spirit, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, and your flesh in one sense is in the world, and he who is the spirit in us is greater. And he says, you have to, here's where faith comes in to know and to believe that this is God's design and desire for all of us, to walk in the fruits and the faithfulness described here. God is inviting you to experience the softening and gentling power of the Holy Spirit to change us. Let me conclude with a couple of thoughts. It is only God who can produce the fruit. The danger is that you think you're going to go home and I'm going to be more patient. And on the way home, you're not. Right? You didn't even get home. Right? You, because you're not going to grit down and make Patience. You're not going to grit down and make kindness, right? You're not going to just, it's not just a thing that you choose to do, like this time I'm going to be kind, right? I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to do it, right? Now, you, all of that just proves to, you know, what the scripture says from beginning to end. You cannot change your own heart. You, you cannot make yourself like God. Only God can make you like God, right? Only God can make you godly. Right? These are the fruit of his spirit and the work that he does in the lives and hearts of his people. The passage reveals that we're a battlefield. 
But we're not passive in the midst of it. And even though we say, some people will say, well, because only God can create the fruits and the Spirit has to do it. And so we just need to let go and let God and, you know, and hope it happens and that kind of thing. And, and there may be a small piece of truth in there, but mostly anything that ends up making you passive usually isn't right because the Scripture never gives this picture. It talks about running the race, fighting the, the war, fighting the good fight, stepping up, sweating, and doing the work, and He calls us into a relationship with Himself. Our responsibility is to abide in Christ and leave you with this thought that is if, Jesus says, if you abide in Me, you will bear much fruit. And then he says in 15.7, John 15.7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. Right? If, if my words abide, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you want and it will be done. And some people take that blank check. You know, now I want power and, and a nice car and I want to ask whatever I want as long as I, you know, I'm reading the Bible or something. But the context here, right, Jesus, when he says you can ask whatever you wish, the context is bearing spiritual fruit. And he says, if you're abiding in me and my word is dwelling in you richly, right, and you have this kind of relationship where knowing Jesus and loving him and walking with him, he says you'll ask whatever you want, right, you'll pray, right? And here it is, if my word abides in you and you are asking, you're praying, you're with the Lord, you're with the Lord in His Word and it's abiding in you. And you're with the Lord in prayer and you're seeking it from Him. Seek, knock, and ask for these things. It, you know, and in the midst of that, as He reveals and convicts us, that we're repenting. Repenting that I was harsh. Repenting I don't want to be that way. Wanting to be gentle. You know, Father, forgive me. Come near and cleanse me and renew me and help me to be that person. And it is in that, when, we, when His Word is abiding in us, convicting us and shaping us, and we're engaging with Him, we'll ask whatever we want in that sense. Hopefully, what you want is what He wants, which is for you to bear the fruit and to be very fruitful in His kingdom. Right? And so the whole context is in this relationship with Him, in His Word. People and circumstances do not make you what you are. They reveal what you are. Right? People and circumstances, we want to blame anybody and everybody. I'm angry because they made me angry. Right? I'm impatient because it shouldn't be like this. Right? I'm all, we blame whatever we want to do, but people and circumstances do not make you something. They reveal you. What makes you something, hopefully, is that Spirit of God who is in you, remaking you in the image of Christ. God paints a beautiful picture here. Picture of the power and the fruits of His Spirit. And I would encourage you as you know, you look for the application if you haven't got 12 of them already. I mean, I give you this one. He says to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. There is a picture in here of the works of the flesh that ought to repel you and of the fruits of the Spirit that ought to attract you and make you hungry and desirous. And to let the word of Christ to spend a week or two in this passage, reading it and praying through it and begging and seeking and knocking and asking. You know, if his word is abiding in you and you are asking and seeking and knocking, he says it will be done. You will grow. You will be more like Christ. There's a picture here that should capture our imagination for your whole life of greatness in the image of God. So that you would hunger and thirst and pursue it with all that you are.
and all that you have. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you do not leave us as you find us, that you have given your own spirit to be God with us, Emmanuel, that you have come near and in the power of the spirit you are able to deliver us from ourselves and to make us more like you. Help us to believe it. We believe. Help our unbelief. We want it. Help us, Father, to abide in your word and to seek you by your spirit so that we may find ourselves changed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.